You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, it's good, so good to see you. And I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your device or even grab one of the pew Bibles there next to you. And you can go to page 891. Page 891. Well, we keep looking at the miracles of Jesus. And what we want to see is a few things. We want to see his majesty. We want to see his power. We want to be in awe of his miraculous wonder, but also his miraculous grace for us. The miracles show us that the kingdom of God is here. And how the king and his kingdom matters, it really really matters to our everyday lives. One of the sad kind of temptations that when we think about miracles is that we can be tempted to disconnect the supernatural from our everyday lives. Do not do that. You cannot disconnect the supernatural wonder and power of Christ from your everyday life because Christ is risen and that is supernatural and it matters to your everyday life. So the king and his kingdom matter to you every single day. And he shows it. He shows it today on a fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus talks to a storm, when he talks to a storm. And so as you do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse 35. Beginning in verse 35 of Mark chapter four, the Holy Spirit says, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith. And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us to answer the question, who then is your son? And the wind and the seas obey him. Help us to see who Jesus is today and why that matters for us right now in this moment. Meet us today, King Jesus, by the power of your spirit and in your name do we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, I'm not, I've shared this before, but I'm not an overly adventurous person. Um, I've admitted that I'm what you would call an endorsement but I do like to take calculated risks from time to time. Uh, not with expiration dates on food. I don't think you should mess around with that kind of stuff. Amen. But I do want to talk just for a second, especially here on Sunday morning. This, this could be dangerous to talk about. 
Um, it was more risky in the 8.30 service because it was earlier. It could be just as risky in the 10. We're going to find out. I want you to think about yawning. Some of you want to yawn already for other reasons than, than that I mentioned it. But especially here on Sunday morning, to think about yawning, it's so bizarre that when you even think about yawning, you want to yawn. Like, I want to yawn right now. I'm choking it back. And when you see other people yawn, you want to yawn as well. So go ahead. If you want to yawn, just let it out. No judgment. We're all about grace. And do you know why we have that kind of response with yawning? It's called mirror neurons. They're there in our little brain folds. There are these neurons firing, and they're there to help us enter into each other's experiences. So like when someone stubs a toe, why do we wince? We didn't stub our toe, but our mirror neurons go, well, that hurts. I know that. And so we respond in kind. When someone's crying and sharing something sad, our our faces, we don't have to think, okay, make a sad face now. our, Our faces just do that because our mirror neurons help us enter into empathy and help us care and help us be engaged in the response with others. This is why the disciples are freaking out on Jesus because they're on the boat. It's about to sink. They're about to die and they're trying to not drown. And yet Jesus is snoring. He isn't mirroring with them. He's not responding in the way they want him to. How can you be sleeping? Come on, man, we're about to die. Your mirror neurons aren't working, Jesus. You see us panicking, but you are asleep on a cushion. But see, the disciples aren't, the disciples are mistaken. Jesus's mirror neurons aren't misfiring. See, they want Jesus to mirror them, mirror our panic, mirror our concern. But in reality, they should be mirroring him, mirroring his calm mirroring his peace. And really, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, this is a common problem we have too. We want Jesus to come alongside our plans. We want God to adjust to our wants, to to our wishes. We want God to mirror us. But listen, Jesus doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. He is not our co-captain. We are in the boat with him. And it's one of the first things we learn about Christianity from this story. And really, I think the Gospels and really just the the whole Bible is that the Christian life is an adventure with Jesus. I I remember hearing this line from an old friend and a dear friend to our church, and maybe many of you know him, John Sokolowski. And he would always talk about how Christianity and the life of faith is an adventure with Jesus. We don't know where we're headed at times. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next year or the days and months and decades ahead, what they will bring, the challenges, the comforts, the sufferings, the the exciting times, the victories. But by faith, and the life of faith with Jesus is an adventure. And that's what we see in the beginning, look at verse 35. So on that day, Jesus had been teaching all day long. He'd enter towns and he would teach and teach and teach. So at the end of this day, when evening had come, He told them, this is Jesus speaking, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So he's been teaching all day. Now it's evening, it's nighttime. And notice, instead of turning in for the evening, Jesus says, hey, why don't we cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? And this is the Sea of Galilee, exactly where a lot of Jesus's ministry occurred. 
And there on that little corner there, there's a little town you can see at the bottom right corner. That's the city of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene is from. So it'd be the exact place where Jesus and his disciples did almost all of their ministry and, and where Jesus is now gonna be with the storm and where he walks on the water. But it should be strange to us that the Bible says an evening came and instead of shutting it down and finding someplace to sleep, Jesus says, hey, why don't we go across the Sea of Galilee for a minute? Now, I'm, as I said, I'm not a big fisherman or a big boat guy, but I've been on enough boats to know that when nighttime comes, you shut it down. Unless you've got big swamp lights and big police cruiser lights, every time I've been on Lake Conroe with friends, as soon as the sun starts setting, like, all right, let's, let's wrap this up. Why? You can't see. It's dangerous. It could be stumps. There could be all kinds of stuff. Other people there on the water that you can't see. So it is odd that Jesus says, hey, instead of turning in for the night, why don't we go across the Sea of Galilee? I'm going to sleep, but you guys are going to take me across. And I had never noticed until this week, whose idea was it to go across the Sea of Galilee? Jesus. It was Jesus's idea to go across the sea, which means... Don't miss this, which means Jesus is leading them into the storm. It was Jesus' idea to cross the sea and it's Jesus' idea to go into the storm. Beloved, sometimes Jesus brings us along confusing, surprising, and even unsettling journeys. Ones we wouldn't map out for ourselves. Ones that seem contrary to normalcy and reason. But he is with us. He is leading the way. He is working. He isn't confused. He knows the terrain and he made it all. And look at what happens. Verse 36. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. Jesus had been teaching from the boat. He's already in it. And they found in the 80s a a boat on the Sea of Galilee dated to the first century. Holds about 15 guys. Nice big fishing boat. And that's the kind of boat they would have been in. And they go and look at verse 37. A great windstorm arose. And now the Sea of Galilee, this would be common. You can even tell from this picture, you see these mountains and kind of how they have this gap in them. Winds would rifle through these mountains and enter into the Sea of Galilee and great windstorms and storms would come up very, very, very quickly. And so a great windstorm, a a squall. This verse always reminds me of the movies, you know, the white squall and the, the perfect storm. And just the chaos of what happens when you're on a boat. I mean, look at how bad this storm is. A great one storm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Not what you want to hear on a boat. I mean, I remember when we were out on doing Harvey rescues, the power of the rushing Cypress Creek was pretty terrifying. At one point, the waters were crashing into this giant elementary school sign, and there was another big sign right behind it, and it created this bizarre kind of rip current. And our captain was like, I think we're going to try to make it. We'll go slow. As soon as we entered that, our boat was just spinning around, and Brian Cross is sitting up in the crow's nest, and I just see Brian go, wee, like he's flying off of the boat. I'm thinking, Brian's going to die. Oh, I'm flying too. I'm going to die. And we, we all landed in the boat. Okay, we're not going to go that way. I, I, and the captain's son, he had this little Folgers coffee container. He's just trying to get water out of the boat as fast as he can. It was terrifying. Only time I was scared the whole time on the boat. I can't imagine the panic the disciples are going through. The the boat is taking on water. Waves are breaking over the boat. 
And remember, these guys are trained, successful fishermen. They know the Sea of Galilee like it's their backyard. They know how to work a fishing boat. This isn't me out there. And the way the Sea of Galilee and these storms would rush in, this had to be a bad one, enough for them to panic. Because swimming, also, swimming wasn't a hobby in the first century. Swimming wasn't just like something you did. You were either in water, you were either getting baptized or you were fishing or you were drowning. I mean, there's really not other like situations. <laughs> so if the boat crashes, it's not like, oh, we'll just grab some of the rubble and you know, we'll just kind of make it to short. No, this is a very dangerous situation. And of course, what's Jesus doing? Verse 38, he was in the stern. Now, Mark wasn't there, but Peter was. And Peter discipled Mark. These are all firsthand details from Peter that Mark has. And you can, I just love how detailed it is. It's not just, oh, Jesus was sleeping. He's in the stern. He's sleeping on the cushion. Every boat had this little cushion that if you weren't fishing, if you weren't piloting, you were like important being carried around, you would sit on it. Well, Jesus is using it for a pillow. So they woke him up. Said, teacher, teacher. I mean, first remember Jesus is human. He has to be exhausted from teaching all day. I mean, I'm exhausted just after teaching three times. Jesus is going all day outside. And here the 12 disciples are yelling at each other. The wind and the waves and the splashing and the up and down of the boat. I mean, you can imagine the screaming, grab the oar, move it over here. We got to distribute the weight. Watch out. All these noises. And then there's Jesus. Out. Put yourself on this boat. Or just imagine being on Lake Conroe and a storm's rising. A bad storm comes and you need everyone's help to stabilize the weight, to call out for tree branches, to, to look out for stumps. I mean, even if you don't know what to do on a boat, like I, I don't know. I'm on this boat. I'm like, hey, I don't know what to do with the flanging jig rod hook. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm at least pretending like I know I, I can help. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm trying to mirror neuron the situation. Maybe that's all they want Jesus to do. Will you just act like you're involved here? We know you're the teacher. You're not, a, you're not outdoorsy kind of guy. But will you just act like you're concerned? When the waves are rising, tensions are flaring, and danger is escalating, this is what happens. The disciples then, they accuse Jesus. Look at verse 38. They accuse him. He's in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care? I would underline that. Don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care we're going to die? Friends, what's really in our hearts and minds when it's revealed when stressful, panicky, tense situations hit. What's really in our hearts comes out. They accuse Jesus of not caring. Don't you care about us? Are you going to do anything? And if you took this, if you rephrase this, not as a question, but as a statement, it would be, you don't care about us. Listen, is this something you're wondering today too? Do you care about me? I'm sure some of us are or have really wondering, does God even care about me? When life keeps squeezing and clouds getting darker, family situations intensifying and jobs getting worse and worse and your health is looking shaky, have you ever wondered, God, do you even care? 
Look at my life. God, do you care about me? Maybe today you're sitting here, even you just reluctantly came to church because it feels like Jesus doesn't care about me. Listen, the fact that the disciples voiced this to Jesus is both good and bad. Jesus will rebuke them for their lack of faith. But you know what this also did? This, this complaint, it got them talking to Jesus, which is exactly what we need. Instead of them just sitting backwards and just going, oh, he doesn't care. They approach him and now they're talking with Jesus. It got them praying. So when you voice your honest thoughts to God, whether right or wrong, good or bad, your complaints, you are still talking to the king of the universe. You are praying to him and he hears you and he's not shutting you out. You know why? Because he cares for you. He really does. As 1 Peter 5 says, remember Peter's on this boat. And if I had to, if I was a betting man, I would bet Peter was the one who said, don't you care about us? And what does Peter say in 1 Peter 5? The man who was on this boat, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Peter's learned. You can cast all, all. The ones that you're thinking about, God doesn't really care about that. Or that's too small. God doesn't care. The Bible says, God says, cast them all on me because I care about you. God invites you, throw your cares on me. I really do care about you. So friends, do, do not accuse him of not caring. It may seem like he doesn't, but that's only because we don't have the full picture yet. And we're gonna see the full picture here in a moment. But remember these disciples, they're really being short-sighted. Just already through the gospel of Mark, they've seen Jesus be baptized. They've seen him drive out demons. They've seen him heal others. They've seen him heal lepers. They've seen, seen him teach amazing things. And now because of this difficult moment, now they're gonna say, you obviously don't care about anyone. They've lost sight of what's happened. Friends, Jesus cares about you. And his reaction in this boat shows that he does. In this adventure of faith with Jesus, he puts his care on display for them and we see his megaton authority. Look at verse 39. The unexpected happens. Look at 39. So he gets up. It's just amazing how Jesus wakes up from this nap. You know how we wake up from naps? Not like this. Like, huh, I need a second. Back off, kids. Just hold on. I'll get your milk that you've spilled already in a second. Just hold on. The unex he got up. He rebuked the wind. Some scholars note that this even has like exorcism type of language in it. He rebukes the wind and said to the sea, be still, silence. The wind ceased and there was great calm. Unexpected. Part of me wonders if the disciples were just hoping to wake him up and like, will you grab an oar? Will you just kind of help us? I mean, I'll, we'll do our part. You do your part. Just get engaged with us. It's all hands on deck. But listen, beloved, we, what seems like an all hands on deck situation to us at times, it's really just in need of Christ and his word. We don't need him to pick up an oar, paddle along next to us, us doing our part, him doing his part. What we need is just his atomic authority. 
even if it's him yelling with crusties in the corners of his eyes. It's more than we could ever do. Even if it's him rebuking the storm with a little drool dried up on his chin, it's more than we could ever do at our best. Notice, no reverse rain dance. Just Jesus disciplining the storm and he rebukes it. He's disciplining it. Behave. And it listens. He talks to a storm like he owns it. I mean, literally, he pretty much says, when he says silence, be still, another way you could translate it is be muzzled and stay muzzled. I was thinking lady in the tramp. Put that muzzle on, Pidge, it's done. (laughs) Sit, boo-boo, sit. Heal, heal, you howling wind. Heal, you waves. And do you see the result? Look, Look what the Bible says. The wind ceased. You know, I know my kids, they would love to have this kind of power. I mean, who wouldn't? That when you're at a red light, at Ivy all the time, she'd be like, turn green, turn green. Oh, it listened. I'm like, it didn't listen the first time, one. And it's on a timer. You're not in control. It works, it works when I do it. I'm like, when Jesus speaks to the storm, it listens. And look what it says. And there was great calm. Mark does some amazing work here. If you look at verse 37, a great windstorm. And now in verse 39, there was great calm. Jesus exchanged what was there. Jesus was calm the whole time. So calm he was sleeping, but now he throws in the calm that comes with him and his power. You know, when thunderstorms arrive and there's lightning and thunder and the power goes out. It's not abnormal for kids to uh, get a little panicky. And I remember like during Harvey, like all the tornado warnings all the time. And my kids were like, we got to get our go bags ready. Where are we going to go? Like my fidget spinner. I need my beanie boo. I need my spy glasses, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And I was remember telling the kids, Hey, you don't need to be afraid. Here's a rule in our house. You can be afraid when I'm afraid. When you see me scared, panicking, you are free to be scared and panic, which is also probably why my kids are a little scared of wasps, just a little, <laughs> a little bit. And this is a really good lesson for our lives. When Jesus is freaking out, we are free to panic. But if Jesus is sleeping on the boat, don't worry. And since Jesus is alive on his throne in the heavenly places, holding everything in the universe together with a word of his power, as Hebrews 1 says, he's got it under control. This is why Jesus says, after he speaks to the storm, he now turns to his disciples. And you got to imagine their faces. Just like the the storm and uh uh-oh, now he's looking at us. And look at what he says, verse 40. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Remember, they asked him a question. Don't you care? And now he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Beloved, it's like Jesus is looking right at us, leaning in the middle of our panic and our alarm and our fears and concerns and says, why? You know me, right? Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? 
So today, Jesus is asking you, whatever you're afraid of, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you know why Jesus says that they didn't have any faith? You still have no faith? They totally forgot what Jesus said at the beginning of the passage. Look at verse 35. Look at how the passage begins. This is why they, Jesus says, you guys don't have any faith. Look at 35. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Jesus said at the beginning, guys, we're crossing over to the other side of the sea. He promised, we're going to the other side. So why are you afraid thinking you're going to die out here? Remember what I said? We are going to the other side. I promised it. You didn't have faith in my word that we were going to get to the other side. You should have been asleep like me. We would have made it. They had small thoughts of Jesus's words and small thoughts of Jesus. They didn't trust his word. They viewed it as just a suggestion, but not as a command and not as a promise. They doubted his word. We're going to get to the other side. So are you doubting his word? Friends, when you doubt the word of God, you will be afraid. Because our hearts really either have faith in them or fear in them. And when you doubt God's word, fear invades. It's exactly what we see in the Garden of Eden. Right after they sin, they eat of the fruit of the tree. They run in fear. And they said, the Bible says they were afraid when they heard God walking in the garden. Because they doubted his word. And when we doubt his word, we'll be afraid. Are you doubting his word? Be anxious for nothing. Are you doubting his word that you are free from sin, that you are cleansed, that you are declared not guilty because of Christ? Are you doubting his word and his command and his promises that you are forgiven forever? Are you doubting his word that you are secure in him? that you will never lose your salvation? Are you doubting his word that you are loved, that you're accepted by God because of Christ? That's why Jesus would ask you, why are you afraid? It's because you're not believing my word. Whether fear in the storms or fear in the uncertainty or fear in the unknown, or we will have faith in the almighty God that if he can tell a storm to quit it, so what should my response be to him? And how should I live because of this is who Jesus is? This is what the disciples see next. A shock and awe of faith in Jesus. Look at verse 41. After Jesus asked them this question, and they were terrified. They went from being afraid to now they're terrified. In awe, this word can be also translated. And asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. They were terrified of the storm. Now they're afraid and now they're in awe of Jesus. Who is this? Their perspective of Jesus, what this verse is teaching us, their perspective of Jesus went nuclear. They went from, oh, teacher, don't you care about us? To who in the world is this? That even the sea and the winds obey him. Jesus is more than they bargained for. Jesus is bigger than we can imagine. 
His power is, is more than we can fathom. And yet he's asleep in the boat right there with him. Yet while he can tell a storm, okay, enough is enough. But at the same time, he cares about you. This is the blessed juxtaposition of Jesus Christ. He's hanging out in a boat with fishermen, and yet he's controlling meteorological matters just with mere words. He holds the Milky Way in place. And yet he invites you, cast your cares on me, because I care for you. Who then is this? This is the one who cares for you and who can calm a storm. He's no mere teacher, no mere prophet. He, do you see him as the one who saves? I mean, here we see Jesus flexing his divine power to save his friends. He speaks a word of salvation. He's mighty to save. He's literally saving them from death. And beloved, this is why this is gloriously devastating because at the end of the gospel of Mark, Jesus will be nailed to a Roman cross. He will have spikes driven through his wrists and his ankles. And he will dangle from this cross and he's mocked. He's made fun of. Here you see at the end of the gospel of Mark that those who passed by were yelling insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. He said that talking about his body, but they misunderstood. They're saying, save yourself. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. And listen, in the same way, the chief priests and the scribes were mocking him, mocking him among themselves and saying, listen to this, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him taunted him. That line, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He can save his disciples from drowning in the, in the Sea of Galilee. He can, he can calm a storm and save his friends, but he can't save himself from the cross. They're mocking him. He can save his friends from drowning, but he can't save himself from dying like a criminal. Who then is this? Who is this who could calm a storm but won't save himself from dying? And it's not that he couldn't, but that he wouldn't. He didn't save himself from the cross so he could save you. So he could pay for your sins. He's the one who can calm a storm. It can save others. And he didn't save himself so he could die in your place. He took on the great storm of God's wrath to save you from it, to give you the great calm that is in his righteousness. Who then is this? The one who would save you from your sins and offer you forgiveness and offer you eternal life if you'll put your faith and your, and your trust in him. This is who Jesus is. Is this how you view him? Is this how you see him? The one who rose from the dead, inviting you and promising you a word of salvation. Who then is this? Like it's calm a storm, but wouldn't save himself. The Bible invites you to wrestle with these two. 
Why would he do such a thing? Why would he save his friends but not save himself? So that he could save you. And he rose again from the dead. And that was the calming effect. It was like he rebuked death in his resurrection as he rebuked the storm. Be still, death. Hush, sin. You can't stop me. Who then is this? Let the wind and seas obey him and death obeys him. Next week, we see demons obey him. The one who wouldn't save himself. Who then is this? I hope your answer is my savior. My great God and savior, the son of God himself. This is who he is. And now the great windstorm of our souls is a great calm because of Jesus. Whether he's asleep on the boat, talking to a storm, raising from the dead, he's showing us his love and power for us. And our mirror neurons should look to Jesus and respond. Respond to him in kind. Who then is this? Our great God and Savior. Know that he cares for you today. Whatever ails you, whatever storms you, he cares for you. Cast your cares on him. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.